Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter number 2. We're headed back to, to Isaiah shortly, but today I wanted to minister to you from the book of Revelation. I want to bring you a message entitled, More Than Leftovers. Can I get an amen? For you, You're ready for something more than leftovers. Amen. All right? So more than leftovers. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse number 2, reads like this. I know all the things you do. All right, so God says, Jesus is talking here. I know what you've been up to. I've seen your hard work. The Lord honors hard work and patient endurance. Can I get an amen for that? I know you don't tolerate evil people, so you don't hang out with those that you shouldn't be hanging out with. You have examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You've discovered their lives. In other words, you're not looking for somebody just to tell you what you want to hear. You're looking for people who will speak truth into your life. And you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. He says, you're, you're keep moving forward. You're going forward. But he says, but this, I have this complaint against you. And the, the older versions say you have abandoned your first love. But I really love the way this translation reads. It says, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. How powerful that is. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. So in other words, this is telling me that if I'm in love with Jesus... I'm going to be in love with people around me also. And the way that I treat others around me is really a reflection of the esteem that I hold Jesus in. Let me say that for you one more time. The way that I love Jesus will manifest in the way that I treat others. Even when I don't like them. Well, all right, let me start here. The way I treat others is a reflection of how I view Jesus. Wow, that's bringing it home and bringing it home fast. And he says, look how far you've fallen. Look, look, you don't love the way you used to love. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. He says, this is so important to me. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its places among the churches. If you're not going to be in love with Jesus and in love with each other, Jesus says, we got a problem. We got a big problem. And you know, I think we have to begin to examine what our motivations are in life. You know, during this season, we've, we've had a lot of time to ponder where we are and what's going on. We've sat back and we've surveyed the rooms that we've been in. We see the faces around us and we give thanks. We survey the bounty that God has given us. And I really believe that we are the most blessed nation on the face of the planet. Can I get an amen for that? But let me just explain something to you. Seasons change. The person who gives one year can be the one who needs to receive the next year. But in the midst of a world that's constantly changing, in the midst of the world where your life can change in a moment, in one call, in one instant, in one wrong turn, in, 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 in one mistake or whatever that is, in the midst of a world where everything seems to be constantly changing, I've come to tell you today there is one constant, there is one that remains constant, and his name is Jesus. And when all else has come and gone, we have a reason to rejoice because we have Jesus in our lives. Can you give him a praise today, man? But the problem is we lose sight of Jesus. John said it this way, in chapter 1, he said, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, watch this now, look. Can I tell you 
how you're going to find Jesus? You got to look. Anybody have a conversation like this in your house lately? Hey, mom, dad, I, I can't find. Let's just go to the, let's talk about something in the refrigerator. I, I'm looking for the cheese, okay? So you get up and you know that they have looked thoroughly for the cheese. You know that it must have been pushed to the back of the refrigerator. You know that someone must have set something like a, like a small elephant on top of it because how could they have missed that there? And so you get to the door and your child, your middle schooler is standing there. Both doors flapping in the wind. <laughs> looking for what they cannot find. And they say, are you ready for this? I can't find it. And you say, excuse me, and reach right in front of their nose and say, is that the cheese you're looking for? Now, that does anybody else, that sound familiar? Yeah, I get it completely. How many of you, that doesn't sound familiar to your child. It sounds familiar to your spouse. How many are you afraid to raise your hand right now? <laughs> See, the thing I'm trying to tell you is this. Look means I have to download myself into the moment. I have to stop thinking about what I'm trying to get back to or what I'm dealing with or what I'm missing and I have to find what I'm really looking for. I've got to get focused for just a moment. And so John says, look, you've been looking for all these things. You're doing all these things. You're down here getting baptized. I, I was down to that at that spot just a couple of weeks ago baptizing. I, I baptized people in that muddy Jordan water down there. And it, it, it was so cold that I, I'm going to tell you, I don't know if they were touched by the Holy Ghost or, or if they were freezing to death when they came up out of the water. But this I know. I was shaking and they were shaking. And, and, I'm, and, and, and I'm telling you, they had a revelation of something when they went under the water. But I was down in that spot, flies everywhere, all this stuff going on. And John says, look, you've been trying to find the Messiah. You've been trying to find the, the answer to your prayers. And there he is. Can I tell you something today? When your world gets turned upside down and you're looking for all the right answers, I can tell you the answer. His name is Jesus. And if you will lift up your eyes and look on Jesus, you will find the hope that remains constant through every storm. Amen. Maybe you haven't been there, but I'm talking to people who've walked through dark days. You've stood in hours that you didn't want to stand, but you planted your feet and you've declared, come what may, I will serve the Lord. I will remain faithful to his cause. And you've lifted up your eyes to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and nothing else will ever satisfy. But I feel Jesus in this today. If you say amen, I'll preach faster. You don't have to sound so excited about it. You see, the depth of our revelation of Jesus' sacrifice is going to determine the depth of our gratitude. This is important. You see, when I lose sight of what Jesus has done, I'll get too busy looking at what others have do are doing or where I have failed. But when I look up to him, sounds like he's saying amen right about now. But when I look up to him, everything changes. Can I tell you the greatest answer? What you need to know today is you need to keep your eyes on Jesus. You need to keep your eyes on Jesus. It's sort of like being in a crowd last Sunday, pre-Thanksgiving services, and 
good crowd in this last service, and as I'm, I'm standing here, I don't know how it happened, but I'm trying to talk to people. People are sharing their needs to me, and, and somehow someone transitioned my grandson, my toddler grandson, into my arms. And I don't know what happened. All I know was somebody like leaned in for a, needed needed a hug, or somebody was crying, and I went to comfort them. And and, and, and I guess I, I thought I was handing him over, but but I, I didn't hand him over. I just sat him down. And I cannot tell you that my grandson has a future in track and field. Because it was like 0.2 seconds, he went, it looked like the flash, right out of here, and he was headed out that back door, and I'm standing here trying to pray for somebody going, somebody get the baby! Because just for a moment, I was distracted. Just for a moment, I lost sight of him for a moment. I don't know how many times in my life just for a moment, I've lost sight of what's important. And then it's hard to find our way back. Then it's hard to get our attention regained. Now listen to me very carefully. We, in those moments, will realize we're not where we should be in love with Jesus because we're not loving others. Listen to me. So instead of finding how to get back in love with Jesus, we'll try to get busy doing something for Jesus. And busyness becomes doing, and doing replaces looking. I want you to get this truth. Busyness is where the fire of first love becomes the smoke of what once was. This is truth. Because I don't feel worthy anymore. And because I'm having struggles with somebody else, I lose sight of him and, and I'm too busy. And some of you got that this morning. You're trying to worship and all you can do is think about all the problems and all the struggles and all. I get it. I understand it. But somewhere in our lives, we, we, we begin to try to compensate. And before long, the fire of passion that would have kept me up longer and would, would have, would have, would have helped me worship a little more, would have caused me to get up a little bit earlier, that it would have caused me to fall on my knees a little, a little quicker. The, the fire of the passion for who God is all of a sudden begins to wane, and, and instead of having a roaring fire of passion for God, there's a little bit of smoke left. Now, I'm preaching truth to you now. I'm not hearing as many amens, but I am hearing truth. God, help us. Listen, here's the problem. We get busy. While we were at the, uh, the Western Wall, while we were in Israel, I've got 91 or 90 people that I, I, I feel somewhat responsible for. And, and, and there's always the one. The one that if you could tie them to you, you would. Because it doesn't matter if everybody else is back on the bus. They are just in their own world. And I get that. But we're going in, and this is a moment, this is a place where you have to go through security, and I'm trying to get them all in line, and women over there, men over here, go through this line here, go through this line here. I'm trying to get them all through, and I'm like, hurry up, hurry up. And, I, and, I, and all of a sudden, I hear these shofars just blasting out beside me, and I, and I look, and they're having a bar mitzvah. And I remember the time that Scripture says that it was Jesus was of the age for his bar mitzvah, and so they went up to the temple. There they had the celebration, and then the Bible says 
that Mary and Joseph, watch this, assumed he was in the crowd. And they traveled a day's journey. A day's journey without him. Because they just assumed he's always, this is Jesus, he doesn't do anything wrong. James, tie him to you. But not Jesus. Jesus will be in the company. Jesus will be with us. He's with so-and-so. He's probably with uncle so-and-so. Where's Jesus? Nobody knows where Jesus is. And, and Joseph says, well, what did you tell him to do? And Mary says, I didn't tell him. To. I told you you were responsible for him. And they realize Jesus is back in Jerusalem. What's this? Because they assumed he was there. Oh, God, help us for assuming that he's just automatically there. Will he ever leave us nor forsake us? No. But does he want to have the joy of being prioritized? Yes. Can I give you a truth? Jesus is our first love only when we put him first. This is important truth. Luke 10 says, says, tells a great illustration of this. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, there, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by, watch this, the big dinner she was preparing. Anybody prepare a big dinner lately? She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you love it when people pray like this? Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I work? Oh God, help me have grace upon my spouse as they don't take out the garbage. You know that kind of prayer. Tell her to come and help me, Lord, instead of telling her directly. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Listen to me. This is not a passage that says ignore your responsibilities, because if you don't wash the dishes before long, you won't have anything to eat on. But this is a passage that really deals with motives. See, Martha was busy making a big dinner because she needed the praise of a job well done. She needed... Somebody to say, good job. Now, I get this story probably better than a lot of people because I had a weird situation in my life that I benefited from greatly. My parents were the only ones of their siblings really to move away. And, and so when we'd go up home, that my grandmothers would celebrate our return. And my one grandmother, and I hate telling these stories because you lose the biblical fact for, the, for what I described, but just listen, try to hear the truth. My grandmother... Whenever she heard we were coming, and now I know dad was always calling saying we're on the way, just plenty of time in advance so she could do this. But my grandmother on my father's side, she would make these chocolate cakes. <laughs> they weren't chocolate cakes just like your normal chocolate cake. They were a chocolate cake that was probably that big around. And she would put them in these large containers, and when she would notice what I'm about to say, pour the icing on. Did you hear me say pour the icing on? She would pour a moat of icing around the cake. Now let me explain that to those of you who've never had such joy. 
When you cut a piece to, to be considerate of future people coming to eat, you're supposed to cut a piece and then you're supposed to with a batch of chocolate on top of your cake. I'm telling you, we would destroy one of those cakes. It is partially her fault that I am this size today. <laughs> but we would destroy one of those cakes. Because we love those cakes so much, when we would leave her house, we would drive over to see my mother's mother, who would say, baby, what do you want me to cook you? And we would always say, oh, we're fine, Grandma. We just had a chocolate cake. I mean, feel God in what I'm talking about. Let me help you. So guess what? My grandmother, who who was the best sweet potato pie baker I've ever seen, she would not bake her sweet potato pies that we desperately wanted her to have so that we could finish off our, our gluttony. She would buy, make a box normal chocolate cake. And she would sit there and wait to see if we were going to eat some of her chocolate cake because she wasn't concerned whether or not we'd eat her cake. She just wanted to beat Grandma Allen. And can I tell you, the competition was wonderful. <laughs> it was a gift from God. But now looking back, I realize, watch this, the motive behind what she was doing kept us from enjoying the benefit of what God created her to do. And when your motive for serving God is so you can get an attaboy or you can feel better about yourself, there's a problem. Because what happens is, is you stop looking at what Jesus has done and you start looking at what you're doing and you're trying to decide if what you're doing is enough to measure up because you've got to feel better about yourself. But the reality is we'll never measure up to Jesus because when we look at Jesus, we lose sight of what we have done and we can only see what He has done. He's good. You see, our motives need to be this, that everything about our life flows from who we are in relationship with Christ. And as it flows from who we are in relationship with Christ, things begin to change. That means the job that I do is better because I'm trying to honor Christ in my job. It means the way I treat others is better because I'm trying to honor Christ by the way I treat others. And it all becomes an overflow of who He is in my life. So when I get along with Jesus, watch this now, something downloads into my spirit that helps me be a better person. Preaching truth to you. But here's the problem. Jesus becomes just another check off. Brush your hair, well, if you have some, but brush your hair. Brush your teeth, make the coffee, get dressed, read your devotional, check. We're done with Jesus for the day. Jesus must become more than a checkoff in the morning. Can I tell you something? Jesus deserves more than our leftovers. Am I honoring Him the way He deserves? Am I pleasing Him in the way that I act? Am I lifting Him up? 
Now look, folks, Martha's motives were, she wanted to do something good, but can you imagine when she finally sat down at the feet of Jesus? She's exhausted. She's watched everybody eat, and she's looking up going, do you think he liked it because he hasn't told me? Do you, do you think he'll take a, a to-go plate? Man, that would show everybody how well I've done. Can I tell you something today? Stop trying Get an attaboy from God and stop trying to say, well, Lord, bless me so everybody knows you're still with me. Look up to Jesus as your only hope, your only redemption. You can't earn His love and you will never deserve His love. But it is a free gift of God that becomes ours. And you know what? Can I tell you how you're gonna, how you're gonna know the right posture and the right motives? Can, let me just tell you. Do you know what one of the best first words ever for a baby is? Are you ready for this? Daddy. Not one woman has said amen in any of the services when I said that. But daddy is a great first word. But daddy is one of the most misused words in all of our language. Because when, they, when you walk in and they look, go, daddy, you're like, oh, you happy? And hello, come on now, you got me right here. Daddy, oh. But then all of a sudden, daddy turns to daddy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Daddy? Daddy becomes... <clears throat> you know why I don't carry cash? I have young adult children. Daddy doesn't thrill my soul. But Daddy. He reflects himself in us. One of the most powerful moments I've ever seen this illustrated is this. You, you go, but I don't want to call God Daddy. You've missed the scripture that says that we boldly approach the throne of grace calling Abba. Abba means Daddy. So I'm in, I'm in old uh, Jerusalem, the old, the old city. I'm walking down. Some of you may have been with me. I'm walking down the cobblestone streets. The, the flowers are, are coming over. We're in the Jewish quarter. And I see this young couple ahead of me. And coming behind me, I hear this small little voice going, Abba, Abba, Abba. And I'm like, what in the world? And all of a sudden, brushes by my legs, this little girl, her little hair, little, you know, pulled up, just bouncing, and she's running down through there. And, 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 and all of a sudden, as she's going, Abba, Abba, Daddy turns and grabs her and swings her up in the air. And I thought, I will never forget this moment because Abba has become real to me. Then instead of Abba, where are you, Abba? Don't leave me, Abba. Where it becomes Abba. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve you. But thanks be to God, I have you. And I look up. But what about, no, I look up. But what, no, I look up. But they're coming for, I look up. Let me give you this quote and I'll close. It is our glory to seek Him and His glory to reveal Himself. That I might know Him. Not for what He does, but for who He is. 
It is our glory to seek Him and His glory to reveal Himself. It reminded me of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 as I was preparing this message. It says this, So all of us who have had that veil removed, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. As I know Him and love Him, then I love others as a reflection of the love I found in Him. It's awfully hard to judge somebody when you've been forgiven a lot. I'm preaching truth. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. But to do that, we must look. We must call. And then we will know the fullness of his love. Stand with me today. You know on a day like today, the day after the Sunday after a holiday, it's common knowledge among pastors that that's the, one of the best days for a pastor to take a day off. To be gone. The crowd is normally not as large as it can be and there's... There's, it's just a really, even people are traveling and, and they're, they're about to get ready into the Christmas season. And so and there's no, no criticism for people to do that. I'm not saying that for the, let me just tell you my philosophy. My philosophy is if you're here, I want to be here. And I've always said, God, give me a now word for that day like never before. And last week we may have shouted more, but this is now. This is it right here. Stop looking here and start looking there. Start looking to Jesus. Because as you look to Him, it's going to literally begin to download into you and change who you are toward others. Here's the problem. Most of us have something blocking our view. Most of us are looking, but we have something blocking with every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. I want to ask you today, how many of you would say with me, Pastor, I have something blocking my view. And I want God to help me look past it. Can I see your hand if that's you? Hold it up high, hold it up high, hold it up high hands all over this place. I will see Jesus. Set those hands down. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But I feel like that maybe there's somebody here that you've never really seen Jesus for yourself. You've never surrendered to Him as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never looked on Him and called on Him and know Him for what He can do in your life. If that's you, today's the day. This is the time. I didn't embarrass anybody else to raise their hand, and I'm not going to embarrass you. This is it. If you would say today, Pastor Don, I've never surrendered my life to Christ, but now, on this first day of this month, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, can I see your hand right where you are? Just hold it up high. I want to give my life. Thank you. Thank you. Are there others today? This is it. This is your moment. This is your time. 
Everything's changing right here. Thank you. All right, you can put those hands down. If you're with someone that you're comfortable with, reach out, just take their hand. You don't have to go across the aisles or anything like that. But we're going to pray a prayer. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we would be changed forever. Born again, it says. And then we're going to pray for all of these needs. I want you to pray with me as these pray today for their lives to change forever. Let's pray together. Jesus, by faith, I confess that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I want to know you. I want to see you as my Savior. And now I receive your grace and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, from this moment on, I declare God is my Father. Heaven is my home. And Jesus is my Savior. Father, I thank you that they have made you Lord of their life today, at this moment, at this time. God, you are greater than all the things that distract us. You are stronger. And Lord, I thank you that everything that blocks our vision of Jesus begins to fall in the name of Jesus Christ. Father God, I thank you that deliverance is coming, victory is coming, Forgiveness is coming. Hope is coming. Despair is repealed. And joy will come in the morning as they see clearly what the Lord has done. That the spirit of suicide is, it falls in the name of Jesus Christ. The strength and victory of Christ arises in their life now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Why don't you give God a praise today? Amen.